Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to episode 16 of the Round Trippers podcast. I am your host, Austin Sparrow. Thank you so much for joining for yet another episode of the Round Trippers podcast. Um, this is a very special podcast because I have yet another guest on, uh, actually not one guest, but two guests on, um, and we are going to do something special for Latino History Month. And uh, joining me today are two Latinos themselves. Coming back for his second week in a row, Melvin Lopez, owner of the Baseball Cosmos Facebook page. Melvin, thank you for joining me. Hey, thank you for having me, man. This is, you know, this is this is like a second date, so I feel special, you know. <laughs> oh, you called back. I feel special. You know? <laughs> Not all, it doesn't it doesn't happen all it doesn't happen every time, but you know. No, yeah, it doesn't happen every time. Like like you have Felipe worried, worried sick by the phone. Well, yeah, not, not, back, now. now I feel like he a third wheel. The very next week, so apparently I was better. So <laughs> Well, I mean, we'll oh. see because coming back for his third episode is Felipe Malicio of the Total Bases podcast on the Baseball Life Facebook group. So if we're looking in case of dates, Felipe's got you beat there. Melvin Felipe yeah, well, you didn't call him twice in a row so I mean well I mean he could have called me twice in a row but I got my like he said I got my own podcast over at the total basis podcast so I'm a little my time's a little bit uh uh what do you call it uh it, it's not in large supply like yours is so oh yeah uh, very true very true that hey, hey listen he's very he's absolutely correct I have a lot of time in my hands that is for sure wait but do I you are you serious baseball, which which gives me a lot of time to think baseball uh -huh. So I can throw all these numbers at him and give him a stroke every now and then. So, wow, shots, shots fired. We haven't even started this episode yet. <laughs> Strokes? What stroke? Holy like little cow. rubber bullets from you. Come on. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, all right. So we are winding down in uh, the in the MLB season, and uh, I wanted to really quickly. We had a conversation over Facebook that I really want to talk about Tim Anderson versus Javier Baez so they're the same player yeah it's the same player yeah basically yes they're exactly the same player um but I will add that Tim I would rather have Tim Ender, Tim Anderson over Javier Baez simply because Javier Baez has a terrible attitude but that's just me you guys I mean anybody on this podcast knows that I don't like Javier Baez I'd rather have Tim Anderson well, even though I would rather and honestly as a Cubs fan myself I would rather have Anderson based on the fact that I've seen that movie for seven years and I don't want to see any more of that movie that I, that I saw for seven years. Right. I'm past, okay? <laughs> There's only so many movies I can watch that many times. So at least Anderson may, may have the same numbers, but at least he does it a different way. You know, he, right. he's, got, he's holding different cards. At yeah. Least. So anyway. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I honestly would, it doesn't really, it's a, it's a coin flip for me as far as I'm concerned. And it, all, it also just depends what you're looking for. Uh, do you want Javier Baez's versatility? I mean, he could play all over the baseball diamond, including outfield. Or do you want to deal with Tim Anderson's inconsistent play at shortstop, which is uh, it's hit or miss some years with him sometimes. Um, and also, he has a little bit of attitude. I mean, ask the Kansas City Royals about it. They don't yeah. like his attitude. That's, I mean, that's entirely – that's very true. He does have a little bit of an attitude. Just this year, Javier Baez has shown it a little more. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, what, what I mean, you met, Marvin mentioned like the movie that he has seen over and over again. I mean, it wasn't that bad while he was in Chicago. I mean, it wasn't he, that bad. He it wasn't just, like he wasn't like Sterling. Bad at all. He was a he, he was a very good player. He was above he average, and he was he was a great defender. It wasn't that bad, but he, he had this. It's just it's just he's one of these guys that his attitude, like 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 Austin said, 
hey, you want to get, you want to behave like a mega superstar? You want to get paid like a mega superstar? That's fine. But your, your numbers are going to have to match the, 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 the hoopla you're giving. And oftentimes, those numbers did not match the hoopla he was giving. So, yeah, and that's yeah. more on that's, the, that's, that's the that's the that's the movie that I'm tired of seeing. With <laughs> yeah, so, and that's more that's more on the accordingly, uh, I would say that's more in the media than anything. Because I mean, he's a very exciting player, and there's a reason for it. But it was not like he's Starling Castro bad in terms of oh, attitude. Not, no. Castro, I mean, he not not only was he not paying attention on the field, but he liked to party all the time. Hey, uh, outside, Giovanni, uh, Soto, Giovanni Soto approved. Yeah, Giovanni <laughs> Soto. There's, there's, there's we want to talk about attitude. That guy let we take over his career apparently. So. Yeah. And he went from rookie of the year, and now he's nowhere to be found. People are shocked that Giovanni Soto is no longer a, a thing. Actually, you remember that that dude that dude beat out Joey Votto <laughs> or for rookie of the year. He sure did. He's, he's, um, you know what I'm talking about these awards that you guys were talking about while I was away. These awards yeah. that they're so uh, random with these because uh, they're narrative based a lot of the times. But anyway, I digress. Go ahead, yeah. Austin. All right, so uh, with a long. Uh, going away from that banter, we are going to start um, what we originally came together for. Um, first of all, happy Latino History Month. Um, and baseball is celebrating a lot, uh, uh, a lot of Latino culture and, and Latino heritage. We just recently had Roberto Clemente Day, which was really good because they expanded it to not just Pirates, but other Latino yeah. players could wear Roberto Clemente's number, which was really nice to see. And they're celebrating even more of Latino History Month. And we figured, and this was actually Melvin's idea, and we kind of ran with it. This was a really cool idea. What we're going to do is we're going to have a draft of the best individual seasons from Latino players. So last, last week, Melvin and I talked about the, the all-time best uh, Latino team. And uh, this week, or yeah, this episode, we're talking about the best individual seasons um, from Latino players. So I have a feeling, because we've kind of previewed this, that you may not necessarily hear necessarily the best all time, but you're going to hear some pretty interesting seasons, maybe some obscure players, and maybe not necessarily the best seasons because they were statistically the best, but maybe because they were important in baseball history. Um, we're going to go three rounds, um, and each of us is going to get one pick each round, and we'll talk a little bit about each season. So we ready to do this, guys? Go ahead. Let's get it. Let's do this. So I'm going to start, since it's my show, I'll start first. Um, <laughs> for pick number one, the first pick in the draft, uh, I'm going to go with Fernando Mania, Fernando Valenzuela's 1981 rookie season. So – in 1981, Fernando Valenzuela uh, did his uh, rookie season with the Dodgers, and he only, you know, he didn't do much. He only won the Cy Young and the Rookie of the Year in the same year. Not only did he win the Cy Young and the Rookie of the Year, he also won the Silver Slugger for pitchers in that year <laughs> as well. So, you know, not only could he, not only could he pitch, but he could rake at the plate for pitcher's sake. Um, he is the only rookie to win the Cy Young. He's the only player in MLB history to win the Cy Young and the Rookie in the Year the same season. In that 1981 season, he led the league in games started, complete games, strikeouts, shutouts, and innings pitched. In that first eight starts of that season, his record was 8-0 with mm -hmm. eight complete games. Every game he went out there, eight complete games, five shutouts, a point. 
5-0 ERA and a .80 whip. In that whole 1981 season, 25 games started and 192 and a third innings pitches, uh, innings pitched. He pitched a to to the tune of a 13 and seven record, 2.48 ERA, 1.05 WHIP, with 61 walks and 180 Ks, with a 135 ERA plus and 4.8 WAR. If you looked at that WAR and compared it to this year, just this year, that is equivalent to Walker Bueller's season right now, which is good mm. for sixth overall in today's MLB. It was a That's, shortened season back then, too. Yeah, yeah it, was a, it, was a, it was a straight season. Yep. yep. And, and, he started, and he started the All-Star game that year, too. Yes, he oh, did. Yeah. Yeah. He that in there, too. Since the expansion era for rookie pitchers, he's got the 10th best war since the expansion era, and he's got the 22nd best war for a, rookie, for a pitcher's rookie season since the live ball era, which is 1901. Is that baseball reference war? That is a Fangraph's war. Oh, okay. Uh, so another tidbit for Fernando Valenzuela. Uh, he pitched, you mentioned 192 innings and 25 games start. Uh, that, that is almost seven and two-third innings per start, which nowadays you're not getting that consistency, workhorse uh, attitude. Like Zach Wheeler, I see he has 200 innings pitched in 2021, but he's also started in 30 games. That's six and two-thirds of innings. So he's pitched more games, more innings, but it's nowhere near what Fernando Valenzuela did on a game-by-game basis back in 1981. In a shortened season. In a shortened season, correct. And and the Dodgers went on to win the World Series, so you know that they rode uh, Valenzuela hard in the playoffs that year, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, and he's Mexican. I'm Mexican, so I'm not going to have a beef with or problems with that. So good job on making that selection there, Austin. He was what, like three and one in the postseason, and I think he had the complete game shutout in World Series Game Three or something like that. I think <laughs> if I if 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 I if I if my history is correct, I think the Yankees had him on the ropes early on Game Three, and then he just went off. Like they had him on the yeah. ropes early, and he he tossed a complete game in that game. Because I think I think they showed it uh, last year, um, but. Yeah, that they they he was the Dodgers that year, like pretty much. Yeah, um, he he was he was the franchise that year, and um, yeah, he was one to know in the in the World Series that year, uh, nine innings, and he had four in runs, but he went he went all nine innings in in the game in in his game, and uh, yeah, um, in the postseason he 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 just dominated. He dominated. That was his only bad start. Uh, he went. Um, he 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 went. He went against Houston and Montreal that year, one hundred six and two forty five, and and those rounds that that was just unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable stuff there. So that is the first pick of the draft. Uh, I believe the way we're going to do this is uh, Melvin. You get the second pick in the draft. So go ahead, uh, pick two in round one. Who do you got? All right, sir. Uh, I'm going to stay with a pitcher and a fellow screwballer uh, because Fernando had that had that pitch, the screwball. That yeah. If you understand science, you have no like you can't explain very well how that pitch is supposed to move. They don't throw it anymore because it can be a little damaging on your arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, that pitch from a left-hander was was sometimes impossible. So uh, a fellow screwballer was Willie Hernandez. Ah. His 1984 season. 
I chose his 1984 season. A little background on Willie. He played 13 seasons in the majors. He was 70 and 63, 744 games overall with 1,044 innings, uh, 351 fifth with a one, uh, 1.2 whip. And overall in his career, he had a 119 ERA plus. So in over 1,000 innings, that's a way above average pitcher. Um, but I want to talk about his 1984 season with the Detroit Tigers. Detroit Tigers that started um, 35 and 5 and went all the way wire to wire to the World Series. Willie Hernandez that year um, as a reliever. Now, again, in context, okay, because this is something that I, 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 try to, I try to get my nephew to understand a lot. You cannot just look at numbers on a stat sheet. You got to put them in context, okay? I understand there were a lot of people that year that had higher war and had you, you had a better case statistically to give them the Cy Young and the MVP, which he won that year, um, than Willie Hernandez. Okay, but if we put his numbers in context, in context, Willie Hernandez in an era where relievers didn't, uh, that, he was the closer, by the way, he was the closer of this yeah. team. He pitched 140 innings as a closer, 112 strikeouts with a FIP of 258, an ERA of 192, who went no, uh, he went nine and three, a WHIP of 0.941 and 32 saves. That was good for an ERA plus of 204. Now, an ERA plus of 204 in 140 innings, that's something. That's dominating. And if, 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 if there's any Tiger fans out there, you may remember that the Tigers did not have a lot of pitching that year. Yes, they hit. They did have Jack Morris. But Jack Morris, I mean, honestly, to me, Jack Morris, he was a true number one. He led the, he led the 80s in wins. But I don't, I don't see Jack Morris as a 2.1 ERA pitcher that a lot of people see him. That's just me, all right? The, the, the Tigers were running thin that year in, uh, in, in pitching, and Willie came out of nowhere and put twice the workload that, that closers were supposed to put that year. And he won the uh, MVP of American League, American League MVP, and Cy Young Award. A la, a la Dennis Eckersley style, because, you know, they're, they're closers that win MVPs and Cy Youngs are far and few. So that's why I chose uh, Willie. And he could also feel his position, by the way. Uh, career, and yes, for a pitcher, fielding, uh, fielding percentage matters for a pitcher and pitcher alone, because they get so many chances. For his career, uh, he only had four errors and 250 chances. Good for a, a really good uh, um Fielding percentage of 984. So that's why I chose uh, Willie Hernandez's uh, season two as a, as a spotlight 1984. All right. So very much like the. I was going to say uh, quick tidbits on Willie Hernandez in 1984. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, Austin, but no, before, I, I don't know if you were going to move on or not. So. Uh, yeah, well, Willie Hernandez led the league, all, all Major League Baseball, among relief pitchers with 80 games uh, appearances. In a, and uh, he also led the league in innings pitch uh, among relievers at 140 innings pitch. But he also, I mean, I know that Melvin mentioned that the Tigers didn't have anybody else, but there was also this other guy named the Tigers who was second in innings pitch that year with a 10-1 record and pitched in 14 saves. And he also pitched in 71 games. So the Tigers, uh, they they had enough uh, bullpen help from uh, from 
Hernandez and Lopez. And another, I'm assuming Aurelio Lopez is also a Latino. So yeah. there's a little, little bit of a Latino connection there going on there with the 1984 Tigers. Uh, and then you got at, Three, four. You got Dan Quisenberry and Bruce Suter, uh, who got to uh, above 120 innings pitched. So it was a di- like Melvin said, it was a different era back then. And uh, um, yeah, Hernandez basically led the league in uh, in in those uh, Ironman or yeah Ironman uh, statistical categories in appearances and innings pitched. And uh, yeah, different time back then. Where what do you call it? Uh, relief pitchers can actually win an MVP and a Cy Young award at the same year. And relievers didn't have to be strikeout heavy back then. I mean, Willie Hernandez won yeah. the Cy Young with 140 innings and 112 strikeouts. Mm-hmm. But then again, you put that into context. If you have Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell down the middle, you're not afraid <laughs> of sibling on the play because you know oh, no. those two are going to catch it. Oh, yeah. So you can, you can afford to pitch to contact in that situation because Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell are not going to let much go through. So he didn't necessarily have to, have to strike everybody out. Although 112 strikeouts in 140 innings, that's that's I that's better than I could do. So yeah. it's it's nowhere near the numbers that these relief oh, pitchers course. are putting up through. But again, no, different era. Of course, know. different, totally, totally different era. Yes. Just yeah. to just to put in perspective what we mean by different era in terms of innings pitched, Fangraphs. I just I just pulled up Fangraphs, and the league leader for innings pitched for a reliever is Craig Stamen of the San Diego Padres with 75 and two-thirds innings pitched so far with three weeks left into the regular season. So you're talking about Willie Hernandez pitched twice as much as the Literally. league leader in, two, in 2021. Literally. And, yeah. As and a closer. He, he kept, as a closer, and his ERA was 204. That's that's Trevor Huffman, Mariano Rivera territory up there. Like you're not supposed to be that good as a reliever. That's that's Trevor Huffman, Mariano stuff up there. So right. Willie Hernandez obviously was not overall those guys, but for one season, he was pretty good, pretty close to them. Yeah, Bruce Suter led a uh, qualified relief pitchers in ERA at 154. Steve Bajosian, who would uh, you, you uh, what's your name? Uh, Austin, you're an Angels fan. You you, you would know Steve Bajosian because I believe his son, Cam. Oh, Is Cam Bajosian, you mean? Oh, nobody likes Cam Bajosian. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, but, I wonder why. That's what a six ERA will do for you. <laughs> but uh, Steve, uh, he only pitched in 36 games because he's a bum, you know. But he, he, he posted a 171 ERA. And then there's your guy, Willie Hernandez, in third. With a 192, uh, I double check Aurelio Lopez. He is Mexican, so another Mexican guy, another Mexican pitcher makes it on the podcast. Contributions, contributions, and 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 you know you remember who managed that team, Sparky Anderson. Sparky Anderson, yeah. And that that like he he he. I wonder, you know what what because that 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 team was tailor made for Sparky to manage. Yeah, you know. <laughs> With with Kirk Gibson and, and and all these guys that just have Sparky written all over them, so yeah, uh, uh, really season by Willie Hernandez. And before I forget, uh, I just realized this that Aurelio Lopez, uh, the other you know the, the other guy who was uh, instrumental to the Tigers bullpen in 1984 and route to a World Series, he, he acquired the nickname of Senor Smoke. <laughs> Senor they don't, Smoke. They don't, Senor Smoke. So they don't make nicknames like they used to. No, they um, sure don't. Anymore. Nope. Yeah. Baseball and wrestling. They don't make them make nicknames like they used to. Sure. Don't get me started on the wrestling right now because I will go on a tangent. <laughs> That's the other podcast. <laughs> That's the other podcast. Yeah. 
we'll, we'll, we'll have to get you on the wrestling podcast, get you on that tangent. Uh, all right. So much like the regular MLB podcast, pitchers have gone both first and second pick. So the first round is dominated by pitchers so far. Felipe, what do you got to round out round number one? So like I told you guys in the private chat, I was going to go a different route. because I like to put uh, restrictions on myself. So I'm only looking at players from uh, since 1980. So basically right around the time of my lifetime, you know, I'm right around my time of birth. So, now, you know, I can go back. Oh, Roberto Clemente in 1971 or whatever. But I'm not going to do that because you guys can do that. So I'm going to go ahead. Say, and... I can't do that because I'm 26. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you can still look at the, I mean, you can still look at the record books and, and say, oh, well, according to the record books, even though he was before my time, I don't want to do that. I want to go from 1980 to the present time, uh, give you some players from my lifetime. Uh, and also maybe some forgotten players that have been lost to time or will be forgotten to time or, or players who will never get consideration for Hall of Fame uh, induction. So I'm just kind of shedding a light. Uh, but really quick, I just wanted to do an honorable mention to a guy who is not an obscure name, but the season he played in was pretty damn obscure. In 2020, Washington Nationals Juan Soto was able to post the eighth highest weighted, weighted runs creative plus of all since 1980 at 201. And the only thing that and, – and Sean and I, my, my podcast partner and the uh, Total Basis podcast, the only thing that's probably stopped him from getting MVP was that he didn't play enough games. Uh, 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 when you compare – he didn't have enough counting stats compared to Freddie Freeman, who um, – he lost to uh, Soto in all the rate stats, but he, where he beat Soto was in the advanced accumulation stats where Freeman had the edge because he was healthier a little bit. And uh, Soto got off to a rough start with the injuries that year i know this because he was on my fantasy team so not that i'm bitter about or anything (laughs) but just wanted to point out that soto not an obscure name but the season he played for that was a pretty obscure season for him and he still was able to produce uh from an advanced analytics uh perspective but no my guy that i wanted to share with you guys today uh he dominated way back in the early 2010s and a very pitching friendly uh in a very pitching friendly uh baseball league that year uh, you know, the Giants were winning just on pitching and defense alone. And hell, even to this day, they're now winning on pitching and defense with the same players, mind you. But that's another story, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So the thing about this guy is that he did this during a, a very pitching. And when I say pitching friendly, it's not that these guys were like, uh, you know, baseballs were being doctored or or not doctored enough or whatever. They were comparing some of the performances from the 2010, 2011, 2012 starting pitchers of this era to stuff that was happening in 1968. And when you have pitchers being compared to 1968 levels of, of dominance, it's either a good thing or you might have a problem in your hands, depending on your outlook on what baseball should be, right? But this guy, my guy, 2011, posted the – what I, I have it listed here. Hold on. Bear with me as i got to reopen this stupid thing. Uh, he lists – he got the uh, 34th highest weighted runs created plus. So – my first pick is going to be based on weighted runs created plus. So for those who don't know what WRC plus is, it's basically uh, it's like ops plus that baseball references use it uses, but this is over at fan graphs. They, they have their own little uh, statistic that they like to use to involve league and ballpark factors into the mix. So anything above hundred is really, really good. And anything, anything below hundred is really, really bad depending on how low that number goes or how high on, or how high the number goes. And my guy, Jose Bautista, WRC plus of 180 back in 2011. That's a career high for him. And I, like I mentioned, that's the 34th highest in, in, since 1980 among qualifying hitters. And you're going to tell me, well, in 2010, he had 54 home runs. Yeah, but, you know, 
in 2011, he got it to 43 home runs, 103 RBI, which, again, it's still low compared to what he did the previous year. But you got to look at the rate stats. I mean, on-base percentage, a ridiculously high 447 on-base percentage. That's that's ridiculous. I mean, you think about all the great hitters, and they dream of season like that. This was also Jose Batista, and double checking right now, and it looks like it is the first season where he got – uh, more uh, a higher walk percentage and a higher strikeout percentage. Remember, this is a time where hitters are starting to strike out more often than not. And Batista was able to walk more than he struck out that year. And this is also Batista's first year where he actually hit above 300 at 302. Actually, this is the only year where he hit over 300, 302. Uh, and then most importantly for the stat heads out there, in terms of wins above replacement, according to fan graphs, this is 2011 Batista posted his highest war ever at 8.1. So that is why I'm going with Jose Bautista. Um, now, what I don't remember was what did he do in the playoffs that year, but I don't think this is the bat flip game, right, in 20 – no, because the Texas Rangers went to the World Series that year. So yeah, I, that I, think the ne- I think it was the next year. I think the bat flip game was next year. That was, that was 2015, I believe. Oh, wow. 15? So Holy cow. Yeah, 2015. It was really recent. Wow. It seems like it, it was ages ago. But, yeah, I even – even in 2015, he did. A, he had a really good year. I mean, he he's gonna get forgotten. Jose Bautista is gonna be those guys. Oh, I remember him now. After you kind of have to get that little hamster wheel spinning. What's that, Austin? Right. Oh, I thought um, you were gonna say I think uh, you were asking about Bautista's playoffs. Yeah. Um, I don't think the Blue Jays made the playoff that year because the only playoff appearances that I'm tracking for Bautista are 2015 and 16. That makes sense. Yeah. So, but he basically was he re he revitalized that franchise that franchise was a oh, joke course, for many yeah. years to come for many years and uh, remember melvin you're a cub fan just like i am we lost out on russell martin because he wanted to go to toronto and i have no doubt in my head that, well aside from being canadian i have no doubt in my head that part of the reason that he wanted to go up there was because jose bautista was out there um, well and and bautista i remember bautista was like like i'm not gonna say he was he was no good but I mean, on, 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 on his career from before before Toronto. Pirates. Be, be, before Toronto, um, I don't, like, he was, he was, you know, 238, 329, 400 for a 729 OPS, which in his world made him an OPS plus of 91. But in this world, that would be about 100 OPS. So, but, but then he goes to Toronto and he just jumpstarts his career, like, like, Something happened in Toronto, and he just went off, and he became. I have a feeling what might have happened in Toronto. I have a feeling what might have happened in Toronto over there with the free healthcare they got over there. The free healthcare. Oh yeah, but yeah, when he was at the Pirates, he was seen as this. I mean, he's only six feet, uh, and he's listed at two hundred and five pounds. So I'm pretty sure he was a lot scrawnier when he was coming up with the Pirates. He was seen as this versatile player that could play multiple positions. Suddenly, he gets to Toronto. He's like, he becomes a freaking slugger. Who, and who can only play right field or first base if he's lucky. So it's just, it's just kind of when you see things like that, it makes you wonder. But if we're just I looking mean, at the this... guy was bounced around by four teams, too. He started with Baltimore. I've always I always thought yep. that he started with Pittsburgh. He did not. He started with Baltimore, then went to uh, Tampa, <laughs> then Kansas City, then Pittsburgh. Yep. So he got bounced <laughs> around and nobody else figured out that he could put 54 home runs in a year. But hey. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure he figures some things out for himself, too. I'm not going to say. I'm just insinuating here. But I'm, I'm sorry, man. I'm a 90s kid. You put that stuff in me. I'm like, I, I, I can't see the world any other way anymore. Like, you can't trust the world. You can't trust these players. 
But, you know, in 2011, he took matters into his own hands. And in a very uh, pitching-friendly environment, he was able to produce, like, th- like, like, in, in, uh, reach statistical feats we, ha- we haven't seen up to that point in 2011. So kudos to him for getting there. So all I have to say about that is ask Rudin Odor and see if he insinuates what you're insinuating too. I think well, his, you know what? I think his I'm, face would be able to tell you whether he was doing stuff or not. Let me tell you, Austin, thank you for bringing that up because the, only, the other thing that Jose Batista did for the world was make Rogue Odor relevant. <laughs> Rogue Odor is now not known as the <laughs> failed prospect for the Texas Rangers who never cut it out as the uber prospect that he was supposed to be for the rangers but now he'll be remembered as the guy who punched batista in the face uh and uh got punched in the face by batista they they revere him in new york now don't talk about don't talk about vince's boy that way now Uh, yeah if there's a guy that that should push for the yankees to get rid of that stupid ass policy of theirs about 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 facial hair it's rognet odor without a beard i mean he he looks scary without the. He looks a lot scarier without the beard than he does with it. So. Does he look scarier than Brian Wilson without a beard? Oh my God! Stop it. <laughs> Brian Wilson with a beard was scary. What are you talking about? No, Brian Wilson without the beard. Look, he doesn't look right. He lo- he no, looks he like doesn't. he's he looks like a pod from outer space. Like he's just there <laughs> as a vessel from for some form life form. Oh, door looks bad but he doesn't look, look does not look like brian wilson brian wilson's just in another spot odor looks like you need to give him a piece of cheese he looks like a mouse without any of this <laughs> oh my god and all the more reason to get his beard back <laughs> you know the worst <laughs> part is yeah the worst but, part is that it, you know, he, he, he made his uh, joey bats uh into uh into relevant and joey uh, by the way jose batista bronze medalist in these olympics by the way. Not, oh, that's right. Yeah. Right. He was an Olympian. Yeah. He, he was a, he's that. a bronze medalist. He's not just that's an Olympian. So he's a awesome. bronze medalist. So, uh, yeah, that's the Dominican cool. Republic won bronze in the, in the Olympics. So, so he, made him, he made him into an MVP. He went from a platoon guy to an MVP type guy. So, yep. kudos to him. Yep. There you go. Man, no argument for me, man. Yep. Uh, that was a good pick. Pick number three, Jose Bautista, 2011. Woo! Um, very good. All right, so we're going to round – that rounds out round one. We're going to go to round two, and I guess we'll just snake back to me. Uh, let's go to round two. My first pick for round two is I'm going to put up yet another probably very highly touted dominant season – um, it's no secret that this is probably one of the best pitching seasons that we've seen, at least in recent time, but, you know, according to some stats, um, all time. And, um, I'm just going to put some stuff out there. According to fan graphs since 1901, this season in terms of fan graphs, war is number one. Number one in terms of Fangraph's war, beating the likes of Steve Carlton, Burt Blylevin, Christy Mathewson, Roger Clemens, Santony Koufax, Bob Feller, 1970 Bob Gibson, 2001 Randy Johnson. This season is atop all of those. Pedro Martinez's 1999 season. So in 1999... And then I'll get to my honorable mention after this. In 1999, Pedro Martinez won the Triple Crown, the pitching Triple Crown, the Cy Young, and was second in MVP voting behind another, uh, another Latino player, 
Pudge Rodriguez. Um, in 1999, Pedro started 29 games. He went 23-4 and four with a 2.07 ERA, 0.92 whip, with 37 walks compared to a whopping 313 strikeouts. That is an insane differential between strikeouts and walks. In 213 and a third, uh, 213 and a third innings pitched, mind you, that uh, that accounts for a 2.43 ERA plus and a 1.39 FIP. Mm. So overall. I, I I think 1999 is pretty good. Not only was 1999 pretty good, an honorable me- an honorable mention should probably be Pedro Martinez's following season, the year <laughs> 2000, in which he had an ERA plus of 291 and a 1.74 ERA. So he didn't win the pitching triple crown, and according to some statistics. His, or according to War, he was worth one less win in 2000 than in 1999. But in, with, when you look at some of the stats, it seemed like 2000 was actually a better season. But I picked 1999 simply because of his triple crown and the fact that the man threw 313 strikeouts in, in, 200, in just over 200 innings pitched. It's ama- and the differential between 313 – uh, strikeouts and 37 walks is bananas. It's just insane. Literally, I had to go back and look at the numbers and be like, how in the world did he lose to Pudge Rodriguez in MVP voting? So you can make a case for um, Pedro winning the MVP in 1999, but I mean, Pudge had a good season in his own right too, batting wise. Um, so 1999, Pedro Martinez. That's my next pick for round number two. You know, you know, uh, uh, I see that season, and all you gotta say is wow. But I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I, I try to do something because I, I, how I evaluate players. You know, I like doing the one season approach. But since you gave me two seasons, if you combine '99 and 2000, Pedro Martinez went 41 and 10 with a 190 ERA those two years, with a 190 ERA. And an ERA plus of 265 for two straight years. Oh my God. <laughs> a whip of 0.830 in 50 straight decisions. That's... Home runs per nine, 0.5 to a strikeout per nine of 12.5. And he pitched 430 innings and struck out just under 600 batters at 597. 597 batters and 430 innings he came. Oh, while also surrendering a whopping 69 walks. <laughs> I mean, what else? What else? You want to talk about unhittable? I think that's Pedro Martinez in 1990. At Fenway. In oh, yeah. Fenway. Yeah. Yeah. During the steroid era. Yep. At Fenway, being five foot eight. And at buck seventy-five during the steroid era in the NL East at Fenway. Wow. Well, and that was right. When you look at the historical, when you look at that lineup, when you look at that pitching lineup, Pedro Martinez didn't really have anybody behind him. Yet Pedro Martinez in 1999, the number, the Baseball Reference lists the number two starting pitcher as Mark Portugal, who's <laughs> 36 years old and pitched a 5.51 ERA. Number three is Pat Rapp, 
who was 31 years old and pitched to a 4-1-2 ERA. The number four pitcher is a 35-year-old Brett Saberhagen, and he was the next best ERA at 2.95. And then number, and then the fifth pitcher is Brian Rose with a 4.87 ERA. He was, he was 23 years old, so he was probably figuring out the MLB in his own right. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting, this, this pitching staff also featured a closer of one Tim Wakefield. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I, was, I didn't know Tim Wakefield was a closer. But all right. <laughs> well, you know what? It worked, I guess, because they made the playoffs that year. They made so, the playoffs. Somehow, so. so somehow it worked. Uh, they did make the playoffs that year. Um, you remember what happened in the postseason in 99? Still talking about Pedro's 99 uh, season. Game five in Cleveland, that was that season. And hmm. he came in in relief, and he pitched uh, five perfect innings in relief. Yeah. So that is also part of, 99, of, of the mystique of 99. That was Pedro Martinez. Yep. Felipe, you got anything to say about Pedro Martinez 1999 or 2000 season since we brought them both up? What's there to say? I mean, I know that he's the other thing, the other highlight was that he struck out all those uh, all star sluggers in 99 at Boston, right? Uh, during the all star game. Mm, Mark McGuire, right. Sammy Sosa, and uh, the other guy that he struck right. out. It was uh, Barry Larkin, Larry Walker. Uh, it was Barry Larkin, Larry Walker, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire in a row. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, Hall of Famers. By a Hall of Famer. Well, Maguire and Sosa, but you know, they were Hall of Fame material. Right, right. Um, Yeah, man. And there's really nothing else to add about Pedro that has that no one else is gonna uh, that no one else has already said at this point. So, I mean, he was he was amazing. He was uh, a little stick figure out there throwing 99 mile per hour beans to people and see if you can hit it. It's, It's pretty amazing that they. Well, the only other bad thing you could say about Pedro was that he. His reputation, again, reputation is always louder than actual results, but the reputation before 2004 during the playoffs was that he, he was kind of a choker. At least that's the way I remember it. And, of course, winning solves everything, as you guys know. But uh, there was a time where, where Pedro, you know, the worst thing you could do was have him pitch against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium because he would always falter. At least that was, a, that was the connotation that people had with Pedro Martinez. But lo and behold, he... Gets he helps the Red Sox get over the hump in 2004, and now look at him. Where no one talks bad about Pedro Martinez ever, so good for him. Good for him, man. He redeemed himself from throwing Zim down and all that. But you know, hey, <laughs> one, more, one more thing about Pedro. One more thing yeah. about Pedro. I just can't talk enough about this guy. Anybody want to take a stab at his 2000 whip? His his whip during 2000 was 0.737. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say I'm not. I'm not. I knew this one. I because I was just looking at the page. So seven three seven. Like good grief. It's minuscule. Yeah. That's that's my, forget minuscule, bro. That's microscopic. You can't see. That's like, that's uh minute. That's, that's just that's just wow. That's I mean, atomical. That's pretty much. Yeah. Well, <laughs> superlatives for small aside. Let's move to subatomic. Uh, subatomic. <laughs> let's molecular oh my god (laughs) let's move to uh pick number two of round two melvin who do you got in your round two hey i got my guy right here okay he i um i picked him because we're about to start 
these these conversations about Hall of Famers, right? We're we're starting these. It's, it's once the once January comes around, everybody starts talking Hall of Fame. Is this guy a Hall of Famer? Is this guy not? I am a staunch believer that this guy should be a Hall of Famer. And if it wasn't for this season that I'm going to mention that there was a miscarriage of justice, and I know you're an Angels fan, uh, Austin. It was a miscarriage of justice that Johan Santana did not win the Cy Young Award in 2005. Hey, he's on my list. That is a miscarriage of justice. And I will tell you the ramifications of that miscarriage of justice in a minute. Let's go to the numbers real quick. Well, who did he lose you. to? Wait a minute. Who wait, did wait, he I... lose to? He lost to Big Sexy. That's who he lost he, to. Exactly. What makes it worse? And I'm, <laughs> hey, I'm a Big Sexy fan. Don't, and you know what? Let's give him some love because it's, it's Latino Heritage Month. He's a good humanitarian. He's who he is. He's a great guy. I'm, I'm, Bartolo's but, a great guy. I do have a question about your miscarriage of justice. Did that miscarriage have a heartbeat? Oh my God! <laughs> well, we're not. I, I live in Tennessee, so I gotta be careful how I answer. Oh, okay? oh you too, huh? Because I may right. have a couple of people on blow with, with torches out there. So I am in Nashville, Tennessee. So Ooh. I may have a couple of people with blow torches up here. But um, that miscarriage of justice that happened to Johan Santana has large ramifications and i will tell you why but let's go to the numbers real quick johan santana's 2005 season johan santana had a 287 era 238 strikeouts 0.971 war with an era plus i'm sorry 0.971 whip with an era plus of 155 and a war of 7.2 okay apparently that's not good enough, but this is good enough. A 348 ERA and a 157 strikeouts. That's what Bartolo had, right? With a 122 ERA plus. Now, I will tell you why this is so important. I'm a staunch believer that Johan Santana is a Hall of Famer. Right now, it doesn't matter if you, I'm a staunch believer in Santana being a Hall of Famer. And Santana not getting this Cy Young Award in 2005 stopped him from having a three-peat. He won in 04, he won in 06. He should have had that three-peat. And do you know how easy the argument for, how much easier the argument for the Hall of Fame would be if Santana wins that third straight Cy Young? I'll tell you how easy it is. There's only 11 pitchers that have won three Cy Youngs, not straight, Three Cy Youngs, Koufax, Palmer, Clemens, Martinez, Johnson, Seaver, Carton, Carlton, Scherzer, Kershaw, Maddox. That's it. All right. Out of That's those it. 11, only two, Maddox and Johnson have won three straight. So he would have been only the third pitcher to win three straight Cy Youngs. The other two are Hall of Famers. Not to mention the 50, the, the, the 50 war and all that stuff. So when you look at it, Johan Santana not winning a third straight Cy Young kind of costed him a little bit. And that was a heck of a season. I would, it wasn't as good as 04 and 06 were, but the ERA plus was a 155 still. That's better than, that, that's 55% better than average. And he led the league on that. Led the league on ERA. Led the league in strikeouts. Led the league in whip. But 
what happened to the writers? I don't understand. They gave it to him in 04. They gave it to him in 06. What happened to the writers in, in, in 05? So Johan Santana's 05 season, the greatest snub, in my, in my opinion, of a Cy Young Award in the past 20, 30 years, costed him a lot, costed him a heck of an argument. A third Cy Young Award is a lock-in for the Hall of Fame, and he should have had that. You know what might have happened? It's a shame. You know what might have happened was that the writers did not look at the advanced analytics. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what happened. I bet you yeah. Bartolo won like 20 that year, right? I bet you he won 20. He had to have. Tell me uh, Bartolo won 20 that year. I bet you that's what happened. All right, let's, let's take a look. I'm in the, two, what is it, 2005, right? 2005. I know pretty well, 2005, what a crazy world this is. Dontrell Willis got 22 wins. 22 wins. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So Bartolo Colon did get to 21 wins. 21 wins. That's what. That's all they looked. Oh, 21 wins. Oh well, that's the, well, it's Michael. Well, Melvin, you should know Michael Jordan rules. Well, last I checked, 21 wins beats 15 wins every time. Every single time he says. That's how he. <laughs> that's why the Hornets are not are, are not any good because that's how he how he evaluates things. But yeah, Colon got 21 wins and uh, what's the ERA? 348. And I think you mentioned that. Yeah. So. The, they whip, didn't, so, the yeah. whip is 0 0.971 for Santana, 1.159 for Cologne. Like, yeah. And so, okay. let's face it, Cologne is a little bit more popular. You know, he has a little bit more of a, you and know, was, jovial look to him. Santana was pitching in Minnesota. So. And, and, and uh, Cologne was in Los Angeles. I mean, uh, our guy Austin would attest to that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, lots of things went, uh, went the other way. Go ahead, Dawson. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you. So, so can we say that uh, – can we say – you know that Michael Jordan meme that came out after the, uh, after the last dance and, the, you know, the okay. Michael Jordan, and I took well, that personally. I took that personally. I took that personally. Can that be Johan Santana sitting that, in that, that chair in the that 2006 season? And I took that personally. I went out <laughs> and I want another Cy Young. <laughs> yeah, and then he goes to the Mets and almost ruins his whole arm yeah. trying to get a no-hitter. Right. Uh, interesting note. Uh, it's the most met thing to do to somebody, by the way. <laughs> hey, he really wanted it, though, man. For real. I know, but I mean, at really that point in his career, he must have thought that he did not have two or three years left. He knew that was all he had because, you know, it was unfortunate, too, because I can I look the way I evaluate a guy for Hall of Fame. I pick you got to give me one of the two. You got to give me eight straight years or seven out of nine that are Hall of Fame material. And if you look at Santana from 02 to 09, those are seven straight years that his ERA for all that time was a 157 ERA plus. So you can make a heck of an argument. And if that argument, if all these numbers came with three straight Cy Youngs, he's in. And he fell off the ballot with 2.5% in 2018. Yeah. What is this? Who's voting here? People that still look at RBIs? It's the same writers who voted for Bartolo Colon because he got 21 wins or 22 wins or whatever the hell number I, I, it is. Oh, man. I mean, I really the hope same the Veterans Committee takes a hard look at this. I really they do. probably won't. They were probably, uh, they were probably plagued. They were probably plagued. They were probably plagued by that same writer, that one writer that didn't vote for Jared Jeter. Or that was pretty funny, Jeter, though. Or, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Jared Jeter's burn of that one guy in his speech was hilarious. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was uh um, what was i gonna say here uh well uh and another thing i think i think melvin you might have mentioned it uh in and uh, your assessment and all this but johan santana was doing this dominance during a very very hitter friendly era of baseball 
where PD use was running rampant still. And he, he basically was uh, one of the more consistent starting pitchers. I mean, he kept the twins relevant. Cheap ass twins were making playoffs, uh, getting playoff berths because of Johan Santana uh, almost on a, on a year to year basis. So that there, there has to be something to be said about that um, as well. But, you mentioned it, man. These writers don't care, man. <laughs> and it wasn't even it wasn't even close. And by the way, he didn't even come second in the vote. No, he didn't even come second. The second one was Mariano, but like, bigger market. Polo yeah. got hundred eighteen uh, votes, and Santana got fifty one. So it was a landslide for Cologne. By the way, since nineteen ninety seven, all the way to twenty fifteen, just you know, have a nice little number there. Uh, because Johan Santana played from 2000 to 2012. But Santana ranks 20th in war, pitching war, according to Fangraphs. Unfortunately, it's a very low number at 45.6. So guys like Kevin Millwood and Bartolo Colon are beating him out during this era of baseball. Um, so that is going to be detrimental to Johan Santana. He only got to 139 wins, which shouldn't really matter because I think there's plenty of players who don't have that many wins now, in the Hall Kofax of Fame. Didn't have 300 wins either. Who? Sandy, Sandy Koufax, Koufax, right? So, yeah, but but you know, said Sandy Koufax, he'll say so. I it's mean, Sandy Koufax. I understand that, but look, from 02 to 09, that's eight straight seasons, 119 and 57 with a 289 ERA, 1500 innings, and in 1500 innings, he had an ERA plus of 155 a FIP of 324, and a WHIP of 1.064, to a strikeout per nine of 9.3 for eight straight years, two Cy Youngs in three years, as is, that's Hall of Fame, bro. That's eight straight sorry, man. years he didn't do it for t- He didn't do it for 10 or 11 years, so he, he misses out. I'm sorry. You know, the best... <laughs> that's, that's his prime, though. Like, like you can take anyone's well, prime. You know, how the, the, you know how it goes, man. I mean, Pete Rose got a lot of hits just for just staying for way too long and getting to the 4,000 hits. People don't give a shit about Prime or what he did. This other that's just the way it is, man. Unfortunately, they don't care. They want to see. Well, okay, did you continue playing after you were done? After you were run ragged in this league, you couldn't. Why? Because you're you're weak. You, you don't have the strength or the or the or the durability. Sorry, dude. You get two point five percent. Something you'll appreciate here, Melvin. During that era of ninety seven to two thousand fifteen, Johan Santana's ERA ranked sixteenth overall. He got a. Pie ERA, uh, uh, Mr. Lopez. A pie ERA. Yes, Damn right. Pie. Yes. Three point one four. You were a math teacher, right, Melvin? Is that I what was. It was? Yes, I sure was. Uh, that, that, that one's out to you. Uh, so that was better than that was better than Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens. Um, I'm trying to look at uh, Cole Hamels, I guess. So yeah, uh, Johan Santana, and, and he's not too far off from Felix Hernandez, David Price, Steven Strasburg, Garrett Cole, some of the bigger name guys of of the of that era from '97 to 2015. So y- yeah, you can make a case, and you can also not make a case. But fact of the matter is, he, at, like you mentioned, in that small window, he was one of the more dominant pitchers, starting pitchers of that time. It's just a matter of convincing people that that was enough time for him to show dominance. But unfortunately for him. When you have guys like Mark Burley who racked up 3,200 innings pitch, and he's probably not going to make the Hall of Fame because unlike Santana, that's a left-handed pitcher that actually kept on pitching even well past his prime. Remember him with the Blue Jays? God. Yep. Okay. Not too, but. Tim Hudson. My nightmares. 
Tim Hudson lasted a long time in this league uh, during this era. Tim Hudson started the game seven too. Like, yeah, but I mean, he, he. I mean, those years with the Giants, they weren't. They weren't. They weren't. They, all, no. they weren't anything to brag about. No, Levon Hernandez. He, was about that close of bringing Baumgartner in the second inning. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> that seventh game. Uh, I was going to say Levon Hernandez. He got up to three thousand innings since '97, all the way to 2015. So, by I mean that's that's what the guys. I mean, I'm surprised Levon Hernandez isn't knocking down doors to get into. Oh well, there's a problem. He only won 174 wins and got 176 losses. So that's the thing that they'll penalize you. A they'll, lot they'll, of years, yeah. the Marlins and the Expos were very bad. Hey, well, they don't care. They don't. There's like you mentioned, Melvin. There's never any context. Look at this thing. They just look. They they look at the at the raw no, counting stats that everybody looks at since the day of since the very first day of baseball started. But you know what? You know what would be a really care. easy way to convince people, and it goes back to to my original point. If Johan Santana wins what he should have won in 05, it's really easy to tell people only 11 other pitchers, and they're all in the Hall of Fame, have won three Cy Youngs, and only two others that are also in the Hall of Fame have won three in a row. Tell me he's not a Hall of Famer now. But they'll they'll find you know they'll, they'll say that he didn't pitch enough games. Like he didn't. I mean, he should make it with two so, Cy Youngs. So it took him less terms. time. It took him less time to achieve those accolades but that nobody cares. No, they don't care. These writers are really dumb. They don't care. They don't. That's what my point is. They don't give. They don't. They don't do what we do, oh, Melvin, and, and, and crunching numbers. Only two point five percent of the voters said, "Well, you know what? This guy that's only done something that only Colfax, Palmer, Clemens, Johnson, Siebert, Carlton, Scherzer, and Kershaw have done." Ah, we oh. don't care. We're just gonna give him two point five percent of the vote. Oh, uh, because he only won one hundred thirty nine wins and got. Oh, he was a lefty, by the way. And thirteen hundred. That is a statistical proven ab- uh, advantage hitter. He was a lefty. So sorry, he only got to a little more grace too. He only got to 1300 innings pitch. Sorry. But then uh, here's how dumb this, this, these arguments are. So you're going to penalize a guy like Johan Santana for not being durable enough, but then Levan Hernandez who uh, got up to 3000 innings and was in how many, what is that? uh, About 350, 350 decisions on the Levan Hernandez's belt during this era of baseball. And he gets penalized for having 174 wins, 176 losses. And amassing over 3,100 innings pitch, he gets penalized for being too durable because he's never going to be considered for Hall of Fame. So they don't even know what the hell they want. You got a guy in a proven commodity in Johan Santana who got all the awards and all the accolades uh, in a short period of time. He doesn't get Hall of Fame consideration. And a guy like Levan Hernandez, who that's what people are looking for in terms of durability and 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 statuativeness. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And if you want to take it a step further, Mark Burley, who actually does have over 50 WAR on this list. He's not going to make the Hall of Fame. No one's going to care about Mark Burley pitching in a very hitting dominant era where people are juiced up to the gills. Literally, I mean, these guys are taking so much crap and substances in their bodies that gills are starting to form on their bodies that they can swim underwater and breathe underwater. That Mark Burley was able to just do all that. I mean, I don't have the numbers on me right now, but I would be like Burley's ERA plus was what, 110, 115 maybe? He was good. He was above average. But he wasn't a 150 ERA plus guy, was he? He was no, 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 I mean, 115 uh, kind of guy. No, nah, you're never going to, no one's ever going to confuse Mark Burley for being the dominant force that he was. The one thing that you will say about Mark Burley is that he was a light, light throwing left handed pitcher who was very fast. I mean, he probably, I mean, Rob Manfred would love to have Mark Burley pitch in this era of baseball yeah, for that. Yeah. Precious make, piece of play that he's looking have, for. Have him, have him give Burley a call and make him the commissioner of game speed or something like that. But, uh, but that's the thing. He was the only one doing it. 
because everybody was oh, trying to. It can to... be done. It can be done. It's, it's, it's a learned skill. No, but in his era, he was the only one doing it because everybody was like trying to uh, throw off the timing of these big, ginormous sluggers. Burley didn't care. Like, all right, here's I'm just gonna go every five seconds. I'm gonna throw something and see if you can catch up because you're too big and you you don't have the stamina that I have. And he would go like what ninety minutes, two and two and a half hours just pitching. And I'm only stalling here because I want to see how bad Mark Burley's ERA minus is. And now nah, he's not even in the top uh, whatever this is. Uh, so ERA minus is the complete opposite of ERA plus, where they it's it's the same concept. But they say, well, ERA lower is better, so ERA minus lower should be better. And Johan Santana is at 73, which puts him in this era of baseball, ninth overall, you know, behind guys like Jacob DeGrom, Kevin Brown, Brandon Webb, Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson. You know, he's a good company right there, right? Yeah, it's so, a great company, yeah. Great yeah, Mark company. Burley was a great pitcher. So, so that's Johan yeah. Santana. That was ERA Johan plus Santana. of 117, by the way. One seventeen. Yeah, that, that was pretty good for a lefty, but it wasn't one fifty five guy. Mark Burley's ERA minus was eighty seven. So I mean, it's nowhere. Uh, what was Johan Santana? I forgot already. But Mark Burley's eighty seven. Johan Santana top nine with seventy three. Yeah, he's nowhere near. I mean, he's good, but he would that would rank him at fifty fifth in this era of baseball compared to oh. ninth overall. I mean, but you yeah. know. If Johan anyone's Santana, gonna get in, I really, I really hope that that the the, the veteran committee he's made some friends in there because yeah, maybe when Miggy becomes a Hall of Famer, he can start putting in the work for for Johan because mm-hmm. something needs to be done about that. Sure. Well, in case you forgot who the pick was in that in that uh, discussion of who who's a Hall of Famer and who's not, the pick was Johan Santana's. 2005 season where he lost the Cy Young to Mariano Rivera and big sexy Bartolo Colon. Let's finish out round two. Um, and yeah, let's finish out round two and let's try to make it a little bit quicker. Cause we've, we're kind of running over. Yeah. Our- uh, we're Felipe. By when we're having fun. I know Felipe, what's your uh, second pick here? Yeah. And again, I want to do it. I don't mention George Bell, uh, 1987. Um, Dominican Republic, also from the same uh, birthplace as Sammy Sosa. So a little bit of appreciation. And, and in the second round, I went with the more traditional aspect of things with the RBI. So the first one I went with an advanced stat. This round, I'm going to go with the RBI. And so the whole goal of mine is to look at obscure players. And let me tell you, when looking at things through RBI, you get a whole mess of obscure players for sure. And George Bell is one of them. So 1987 with the Toronto Blue Jays, George Bell led the league in RBI and giving us one of the better seasons. But my guy that I'm going to share with you guys today, it's that hyper. I mean, listen, man, the late 90s, what do you think about? You think of guys who are juiced to the gills. Again, they're forming gills because uh, they can breathe underwater. But not just that, but they're also... Um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, wrestling. Oh, you guys mentioned wrestling before. I mean, those guys are just as juiced as anybody. And nobody, and I'm a, I'm a, I don't have the evidence to say that this guy was or was not. But one thing's for certain, he definitely took advantage of his surroundings. And that is 1998, Colorado, Rocky, Colorado Rockies, Mexican third baseman, another Mexican, yes, Vinny Castillo, who amassed 144 RBI, which would put him since 1980 as a 24th best total uh, of that, uh, of that from 1980 to 2021, Vinny Castilla had the 24th most RBIs in a single season at 144 RBI. He scored 108 runs, hit 46 home runs, which is a career high. Uh, yeah. It, it, which could be, I mean, you guys were talking about periods of time that 95 to 99 five-year period for Vinny Castilla is otherworldly. Uh, so take a look at those numbers when you guys get a chance how ridiculous it was to be 
in course field during the steroids era, just hitting these video game numbers. He didn't only could strike him out. He only struck out 12.8% of the time that he would go up at uh, up uh, uh, being played appearances. And again, for his sake, he reached the, his highest uh, fan graphs for a uh, 4.5. This is the peak, man. This is peak Vinny Castilla. Just kidding, mammoth home runs and course field and the Blake Street Bombers with Dante Bichette and Larry Walker, who just you guys just mentioned uh, Hall of Fame Larry Walker now. So there it is, Vinny Castilla. Uh, now, the only thing I don't remember about the Rockies is I don't remember if they made the playoffs that year or not, which would... Um, not. It was uh, the, the Cubs. The Cubs. It was the Cubs in the wild card. Yeah. And I believe the Padres won the, the ah. World Series that year. Yes, you are correct, sir. So Rockies uh, missed out. Uh, and uh, the other thing about Vinny Castilla, played all 162 games in 1998. So he was durable that year, so... Um, alas, he's not making a Hall of Fame, <laughs> but that's why I mentioned it because he's not gonna be uh Hall of Fame worthy. But I thought it was worth uh reaching to my past of my youth there, the and I was probably your age when Vic Castillo was uh, uh racking up the home run and the, the RBI tools back in the day, yeah. So it, it's really interesting. 1998 is a really interesting year because 1998 really is. You know, that's the year that, you know, Sosa and Clemens were, you know, racing each other for the home run record. McGuire. You know, or yeah, who did I say? Clemens. Oh, Clemens. <laughs> yeah, Clemens was chasing it. Why not? Um, no, when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were chasing the home run record. But, you know, when you look at it, you also had for a long time, Ken Griffey Jr. was having a really great season. Vinny Castilla having a really great season. You had a number of... Um, you had a number of regular season or single season home run records broken in that era in 1998, 2001, right around that, right around that time. I, uh, recently looked up on baseball life when I was looking at Shohei Otani and his recent, um, record breaking home run season. Um, I, when I was looking it up, a lot of the team records, for single season home run totals was either 1998 or 2001. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really interesting to see just how many people were truly having a great season in 1998. And oh, ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So I'm looking, okay, so 1998, and I'm trying to, and I'm like you, I'm trying to stall because my internet is a little slow right now, and I'm trying to see who the leaders were and RBIs in the 1998 season. Uh, So you had Sammy Sosa up top at 158, then Juan Gonzalez, Albert Bell, Mark McGuire, Ken Griffey Jr., Manny Ramirez. Vinny Castilla is seventh on that list. And then uh, you got Jeff Kent, Jeremy Burnitz, and A-Rod. Wow. Jeremy Burnitz. Jeremy Burnitz of the Brewers and A-Rod rounding out the top ten. His prospect card back in the day, Jeremy Burnett's when he was at the Brewers, I believe, or the maybe, or was he with the Cleveland Indians at that time? Indians. But yeah, I, I had his prospect card for tops. Oh, wow. way go. back in the day. Yeah, I don't know what happened to that card. Uh, also of note, Vinny Castilla, uh, career high in everything on base percentage, slugging percentage, WOBA, WRC plus 30 years old. He's reaching his peak, you guys. That's normal, right? For a 30 yeah. year old to do Only that in, in the 90s, yeah. I mean, hey, what, Barry Bonds had his peak at 39. I don't know what you're doing. What are you talking about? Barry Bonds was 39 and having, having, having his peak. So 
So yeah. And I'm sorry, Austin. I missed what you. What were you saying back there? I missed it. Uh, I said. Uh, I said. You know, in that era, with all the juice, and their peak is at 39, 45 years old. Oh yeah. I mean, it's shit. Julio Franco played for a very long time. He was oh. clean, right? I'm pretty yeah. sure he was. Right. Also played for those Texas Rangers teams that were all accused of PED use at one point or another. So. I mean, there look at these people. Look at the people that are off on a 96 mile an hour fastball at 45. Yeah. yeah. look at the people that are leading in rvis that you know are are either known or suspected of using peds or even corking their batch you had sammy sosa you had mark mcguire you had manny ramirez you've got um a rod um was jeff kent suspected i don't know i always suspected him i always suspected him you got his career in the mets career in the giants bingo Right there. And then you've got Barry Bonds, you've got Garcia Parra, you've got Rafael Palmero, you've got you've got all these guys that are, you know, s- suspected at least of PEDs. Mike Piazza's twenty fourth, you know. So, so uh, look, look at this list, man. So I I, I sorted it by offensive runs above re- uh, replacement, which is the offensive component to Fangraphs WAR uh, total calculation. I would say in the, uh, of the top five of this, of this grouping, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, Albert Bell, and Sammy Sosa, at number four, John Olerud, he might have been the only one that was clean. Oh, my God, John Olerud. <laughs> wow. uh, anyway, yep. So, the, I mean, we could continue to talk about the 1998 season because my pick, was also, my pick for the last round is also the 1998 season, but I picked this one for a different reason other than the fact that you know, statistically, this season is is very good. I'm picking Sammy Sosa's 1998 season. Um, you know, just just some quick stats. In 1998, Sammy Sosa slashed a 308 batting average with a 377 OBP and a 647 slugging with 66 home runs, 158 RBIs to the tune of a 159 weighted runs created plus. Uh, in that year, he won the NL MVP and the Silver Slugger. But the reason why I picked that race is, or, or why I picked that season is pretty much because he was part of the 1998 home run race with Mark McGuire that, that essentially saved baseball. Do I have a favorable um, outlook on steroids? No. Do I have a favorable outlook on corking bats? No. But when you look at the historical implications of the 1998 season, if it wasn't for the 1998 season, baseball would look very, very differently, I think, um, because – 1998 you're starting to lose popularity and you know and really the 1998 season with mcguire and sosa that race really put baseball back on the map and really made it important for everybody to watch well let's let's be let's be clear though it it made it important for the casual fans because i never loved the game i I never that's true you you it made it more popular it made the casual fans want to come and watch or even new fans be like hey i heard about this mark mcguire sammy sosa guy whether you wanted them to break the record or you didn't want them to break the record you went you went and watched anyway and sammy sosa is an integral part of that 1998 season so that's that and that I, is the reason why i picked this season not necessarily because he hit 66 home runs because let's face it home runs are a diamond dozen at this point in yeah. baseball history but you know i the historical the, the historical implications of this season and sammy sosa's part in this season is why I picked. Um, and and 90, 98 was a very magical season. I mean, I lived through it all at that time. It was so magical. It was so wonderful. And the Cubs were winning for once in their life. But 
this is the narrative that people keep plugging in about 1998. When I was growing up, there everybody was saying 1995 when Cal Ripken broke Lou Gehrig's uh, consecutive game record. That's the watershed moment that saved baseball. So I, that's why I always roll my eyes. Like, well, 98 was the season that saved everybody baseball from. Yeah, and it's, it's it, to a lesser. I mean, you can make a case. Well, long term, did it really save it, or did it make it reach these benchmarks that were impossible to reach without the knowing about what was being done for these players to get to those high marks. You know what I mean? Because, and then what happened in 2005 or 2006, Congress gets involved and the party's over. Now you got to do testing, you know, you got to do tests. You got to test these players out because all of a sudden the people that were being celebrated in 98, 99, 2000, 2001, suddenly the fans don't want to celebrate those guys anymore. They want these clean players. They see what it is. Austin and Melvin is that everybody wants, it's the thing about hot dogs, right? The whole, the whole logic about hot dogs. Everybody, everybody loves hot dogs, but nobody wants to know how they're being made. It's the same. It's the same concept. Yeah. So that's I. I am. I am not up board with any of this, uh, with this narrative because it's just it, it's 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 just to, to pandering. Point, to it, often, but no, I'm just gonna say this one thing, and then I'll see I'll see the floor to you, Melvin. It's just pandering to a general a general fan base, a baseball population, just to make everybody feel good about themselves, about the dirty, dirty, dark secrets that was happening during the, this era of baseball. I think, I think to Austin's point, though, yes, we, we know that, you know, Sammy Sosa is one of the main, main culprits, and, and he's never admitted it. And Why would I, you? I, 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 do, I do believe that he was in the, I do believe he was in the, in the Mitchell report, he was mentioned. But then Manfred started bailing people out of the Mitchum report. You don't know. You really don't know a lot of these things. Okay. Logic tells you people are just, just don't go from 37 to 65 in one year. I mean, come <laughs> on. At least I would prefer, I would prefer for him to tell me he did it just so he doesn't keep insulting my intelligence. But besides the point, I think Austin's point as well as, as well, I think it's, it's well taken because all these, all these, all these academies in the Dominican Republic don't happen without Sammy in the 1998 season. All these, all these teams going over there for talent, and, 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 and people were getting signed as international free agents before Sosa, okay? But pre they never – scouts – teams didn't have academies. There wasn't a presence in the Dominican Republic until after all these, all these things happened. And, and I think that was the, among all the – among all the all – the, all the dirty diapers that you can unpack from the from the trash can that a lot of people want to draw that 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 era was you have all these dirty diapers with Sosa's name on it but some positive things did happen um because I, and I think what Austin is saying is I, I only don't I honestly don't think these TV deals happen without all that popularity and um I don't know if all these academies in foreign countries in the Dominican Republic and Panama and, and, and Venezuela happen without all this you don't know but i mean you can't prove something can't happen but all you can prove is that before he did all these things that weren't happening and that's a fact let me ask so, this other man did the houston astros save baseball in 2017 with their cheating scandal well of course not okay well that's i mean come on it's it's, it's, it's again it's all narrative based it goes beyond i'm not saying they save baseball i also subscribe to that narrative but i think there's a point to be made about the fact that Without Sammy Sosa's 98 season, which is which is Austin's point, without Sammy Sosa's 98 season, you remove that block. A lot of things that as a lot of things that baseball as we know it right now have 
that we have fall with that if you remove that block. But they that's, were already I mean, saying that, that the, the after 95, Melvin, they were already saying that baseball was safe because of Cal Ripken Jr., who's a white guy. They were saying, take away Sammy Sosa and the fact that he's Latino, right? And I'm going to get to that Dominican thing that you just mentioned right now because there's a dark, twisted thing that's happening there as well. But Mark McGuire, you, you had a, a, when I was in high school, there was a noticeable racial split between white people and, and minorities. You knew where the hell you were, where the line was drawn based on color, uh, skin color. All the whites were rooting for Mark McGuire and calling Sammy Sosa a fraud, and Latinos and the black people and, and, and all the people of color were rooting on Sammy Sosa because he he's one of us. He speaks Spanish. He has darker complexion on his skin. So there's that. But, but it's, always, it's always narrative. And as far as exploring the game into a, a, national, a world level, what good did this thing happen for baseball and the world level when years, not even years – not even a whole decade went by where the Olympic Committee decided that, you know, baseball's not even that popular of a sport. We're going to remove it from the Olympic Games anyway. What was the point to all of this then, if, if, if that was a big thing? And finally, the, the, the third thing I want to mention, since you mentioned the Dominican uh, academies, yes, it was a positive thing for sure, but there's, there's a lot of dark, nasty secrets that all, not, baseball doesn't want to share, doesn't want to uh, uh, devolve too much about those baseball academies where, uh, let's face it, the reason that there's an explosion because explosion of Latino players, especially Dominican players in Major League Baseball, because they're simply, they're easy to exploit. They're cheaper. You can sign 10 Dominican players compared to one African-American drafted baseball player, uh, amateur baseball player, or even one white amateur baseball player in the draft. It's just a numbers game. It's an economics thing. It's more economical to exploit Latino players across the Latin American hemisphere than it is American baseball players. And I'm sorry if that's a that's a, a, a negative way to a, too much of a negative or a cynical way of seeing things, but it's what's happening. Look at Miguel to uh, Melvin. We mentioned this Miguel to story. When I, I, I think I mentioned it to you. I'm not sure, but Miguel to story was, yeah, he was signed by the Oakland athletics for, for a very cheap insulting price tag of $5,000 to play minor league baseball in a country he's never been into before. And not knowing the language, having to live by himself, uh, isolated from the rest of his teammates, having to eat pork and rice, and I'm sorry, not even pork, beans and rice out of a can just to make things, just to make ends meet on his paltry salary, and was stuck watching Mexican telenovelas just to pass the time at night. I, I mean, it, it's, not a fla- it, it's not a very flashy lifestyle. It gives you an opportunity. And we saw what Tejada had to do to get to the majors. He got tagged as well with with the, with the peds as well right so yeah it's awesome that these academies were built but and and now everybody's like oh well now it's now reform and these players have a brighter future ahead of but there was a lot of dark and twisted free-for-all that was happening as soon as those academies opened up and they could say well th- this is a positive thing and it might but it might have been a positive thing but there was a lot of dark things that were happening behind the scenes that i don't think if if, if people were to really dig deep oh okay fine leave the dominicans alone what happened with the Cubans live risking their lives getting to this country because they saw what happened in 98 and risking their lives get, getting away from that communist country and, and getting into shark infested waters and going through cartels in Mexico get, just to get to this country, just so they can get a deal with a major league baseball team. Ask Steven Hernandez how that went for him. Orlando El Duque Hernandez, Jose Contreras. So I don't know, man, all this Pollyanna outlook on, on, on really it's just not the way I fly. You could tell me that, but I saw plenty of people who left the game because they were whiny little bitches because every, it was business. It was just business. It was just business. Melvin, Austin. It was a negotiation that went too hard, too long that, uh, in 94. But 
I was being made fun of because I was waiting patiently for the baseball players to come back. And I was told I was a goddamn fool for waiting for them, for not waiting for that watershed moment to come. Fuck that. I wanted my baseball and I wanted it now as a young kid, as a 10 year old, 94, 95. And, and all the fake fans that left the game, they can go stick a, a stick up their butt because they left, they ditched the game and they what? They waited for these two steroid infused motherfuckers to come back and, and hit a bunch of home runs. That was the watershed moment. You know what? No, you're a fraud of a fan. You were never a fan to begin with. Go watch football because they accept, <laughs> they accept cheating. Cheating is okay in the NFL. No one cares if you cheat. They're literally a team called the Las Vegas Raiders. The mantra is, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Go watch them, all right? But, again, it's like every, every five years, there's always a narrative. Oh, this is the watershed moment. Let's save baseball. I, I am telling you, Cal Ripken Jr. saved baseball, according to many casual baseball fans. I'm sorry. I'm just passionate because I love this game so much. But right. when, when, when you tell me these moments that happen and that that's what, what brought people back, Maybe I don't want those people back. Leave my baseball game alone. It's perfect the way it was before you people started, like, you know, demanding that these 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 athletes start injecting themselves with PED so they can hit more home runs for your music. Hey, hey Felipe, do you like do you do you do you like having baseball in your phone? Yeah. Well, that wouldn't have happened had these people not come oh, back. Oh, well, now. see, that, oh. there it goes. That's when it happened. No, hold on now. That wouldn't have happened if Steve Jobs wasn't allowed to give us smartphones or if a Palm Pilot wasn't around to give us smartphones, the, the, the precursor to smartphones and BlackBerry. That, the only reason we have one of these stupid things is because of the technological advances. Major League Baseball just so happened to be, uh, who knows if they were even the first ones to do it. Did the NBA do it better? Did the NFL do it better in terms of mobile devices and, and their, and their, and their hey, sports I franchises? I got baseball on my phone. I love it. I mean, you have all sports <laughs> in your phone. You have ESPN on your phone. You have ESPN Plus on your phone. You know, I mean, the reason you're, you're spending more money on cable TV, I mean, for those who, who haven't cut the cord yet, the reason you're spending more money on cable is because Major League Baseball and the National Basketball Association and the NFL demand that if you want, if you want their product to be air on, on, on cable television, you, the consumer, have to foot the bill for it. But, it, so, it, it, I mean, it's, a, it's good and bad, right? We get more baseball all the time on the internet, on television. But it's bad because we got to pay for it. And for those who can't afford it, well, shit out of luck. Go to a bar and watch the game and spend more money that way, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, the 98 season, I think, is a very historical, important part of baseball history. Much like... You know, Cal Ripken's, uh, Cal Ripken's season that saved it. And much like, um, I, think, I think you can think of a number of things that quote-unquote save baseball. You can look at, I mean, the 95 Mariners in terms of the context of just Seattle. How, you know, it quote-unquote saved it for the Seattle fans. If it weren't for the 95 season, Seattle or the Mariners wouldn't exist anymore. But, I mean, you know, I think... Austin, that, that's the narrative that they use. When you go to Seattle and you do one of their, uh, their tours... That is the narrative that they're gonna they're gonna stick in you as a tourist, right? Until they turn blue in their face. Let's put it. Or how about this way? How about don't threaten to leave at all? Why why did baseball need to be saved in Seattle? Right? Um, I mean, that, yeah, that's just another cynical way of looking at things. But why did it need to leave in the first place? Right. And and what it took the, a miraculous uh, game five against the Yankees for the team to be saved in Seattle? Why did it need to be saved in the first place? Why? Because right. you weren't going to get a fancy new stadium anytime soon. But, you know, it, it's – I'm sorry. It, listen, when you've been in this game for a long time, since like the 90s, and you've seen all the crap that's been done to this game, there is no other way to look at this viewpoint but to be cynical about it. And, 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 right. and, I, don't, and I don't mean to be a buzzkill for everybody, but I, I don't know any other way to be, 
Like I, I'm, I'm just. Well, um, no, and I, I, I understand it question. because from the yeah. steroids point of view, my, my standpoint on steroids themselves is I remember when the whole thing about Congress getting involved went down mm-hmm. and you had Barry Bonds and you had Roger Clemens and you had all these guys. I was a big fan of Barry Bonds and I actually got really, really upset when they were starting, you know, when they did this whole thing and it was right in the middle of he's chasing the all-time home run record and I'm like, you know what, that's not cool. You're accusing him of cheating just because you don't want him to break the record. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then all of this stuff came out and I'm like, it broke my heart as a young fan to know that, you know, Barry Bonds, I I mean – He's never admitted it to it, but I think he's insulting all of our intelligences at this point. But, I mean, you know, you got Barry Bonds and you got Roger Clemens and, you, you know, it, it broke my heart. So now, you know, now we live in an era now where a guy does really, really well or he has a breakout season and, he, and we look at him and shake our finger and go, hey, what are you mm. doing behind the locker room? Mm-hmm. You know, mm. I mean, we've done that two or three times on this podcast already. Just, hey, what have you been doing in the locker room? Like, You're not going to fool me this time. Yeah. So, I mean <laughs> – you know, you, you can look at it multiple different ways. And I agree. If you if a fan is contingent on, you know, oh, the team got to be winning, I, I mean, I'm, I'm irritated at bandwagon fans as much as, uh, as, much as the <laughs> next guy. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. We as, re- we as more than casual fans, you know, at some point we are dependent on the casual – we're dependent on the, the – masses watching baseball in order for us mm-hmm. to watch the game we love if 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 it's just us watching it the the tv deals aren't going to be made because nobody mm-hmm. wants to watch baseball no i get that i mean i get all that i get all that aspect i always tell people hey man don't be too hard on the casual fans casual fans make the world go around they make the sports world go yeah. around they're the ones who are buying the merchandise that us hardcore fans aren't willing to purchase because we know better we're waiting for the clearance section to come out <laughs> yeah uh, you know there but you go. it's good and bad, but I mean, I just, it just pees me that, oh, well, this moment was the watershed moment. There, there, I mean, I said it from the get-go, 98, and Melvin was there too. 98 was a very magical year for me. Very magical. Um, despite all the things that were happening in my life, I took solace in baseball. I just don't like the idea like, oh, well, I came back in 1998. Oh, you came back because of 98? Why did you leave in the first place? Who invited yeah. you back? Yeah. Why are you here? Are, did you leave again in 2003 and 2004 when Barry Bonds broke the record? Oh, that got you mad. Are you one of those people that, that, that are, is still mad at Rafael Palmero, even though he was one of the greatest hitters of our generation? Yeah. You're okay with Barry Bonds getting Hall of Fame induction um, votes, but you're not okay with Rafael Palmero? Well, you know what they call that, Austin and Melvin? You know what they call those people? They call yep. them hypocrites. Yep. yep. I agree. Anyway. But that's what, the show what, for January. That's the same show that we're going yeah. to that, that, No, yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's a preview one. for sure. <laughs> that, that's and, the Hall of Fame one. I'm going to bring that Santana up. <laughs> you saw <a> Santana. <laughs> that was this, two. That was two. From <laughs> Carlos Santana, um, the guitarist, has a better chance of making the Hall of Fame at this rate. At this point, yeah, I would say. Actually, Carlos Santana, the first baseman for the Royals. Carlos Santana, the the, the player, yeah. Oh, the Royals, he has a better chance. Go ahead. All right, let's try to finish this up. Melvin, go ahead and get your final pick. All right, my final pick real quick. Um, Because, and I picked this guy because I think in 2010, when Felix Hernandez won the Cy Young Award, is when things started turning around a little bit in these voters mind now not that they have it all perfect right now <laughs> not that they have it all perfect right now because i guarantee you they're going to give the uh, the, the mvp to old Tammy. 
I guarantee you they're going to give the MVP to Otani, okay? But this is when the tide started turning a little bit because Felix Hernandez won the Cy Young with only 13 wins this year. Yeah. He won the Cy Young with only 13 wins that year. What year right? was that, Melvin? I'm sorry. Go ahead. What year was that? I'm sorry. 2010. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah 2010. Uh, Felix Hernandez, and I got his numbers right here for that 2010 season. And the 2010 season, he had a win-loss record of 13 and 12. So a lot of people would have been like, well, he lost 12 games. Well, how many of those did he pitch a shutout in? Okay. <laughs> and he had a 13 and 12, uh, a 227 ERA, 249 innings pitched. Hello, is this on? 249 innings pitch only 11 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. we have a ERA plus of 174, a FIP of 304, and a whip of 1.057 to a hit per nine of seven and a strikeout per nine of 8.4. Felix Hernandez was a boss that year. Didn't even make the all-star team, by the way. All right. So apparently didn't even make the all-star team that year. Kind of like Johan Santana didn't make it in all four, but Javier Vasquez somehow did. <laughs> I did that one, right? He's still so, bringing up Johan Santana. I'm oh, man. Curve, but you know what? You I didn't make, realize this was going to be a controversial episode of the Ron Trippers you know, podcast. But the thing is, I picked King Felix because that's kind of when the tide started turning on these awards, I believe. Yeah. And, and, and I would have never thought that a guy with only 13 wins and a 13 and 12 record was going to win the Cy Young, and he did. So overall, King Felix, uh, 2010, that, that, is my, that is my third uh, my third season because it started changing the tide, and he has some really killer numbers there. He has some really good numbers, and, and for the first time, the voters were starting to look at analytics, I would say. That, because that's also the year that Joey Votto won the MVP in the National mm. League. So you started trying to, try, trying to see the, the tide turn a little bit towards see, the analytics. Not to me, as a baseball head, like as a, a real baseball fan, not these fake ones who come and go as they please. When things uh, go rough, they just go escape or somewhere else. Here we go There'll be a cut here soon. But I was going to say, th this is my watershed moment here because I agree. I did not. I would. I thought I would never see the day where a guy who wins only 13 games would get the Cy Young. And he not only. I mean, he, he pitched 249 innings. The only guy who pitched more innings than him was Roy Halladay. And come on, it's Roy Halladay. But he only beat him by like by an inning, and that's it. Uh, but they looked at the other numbers, which is uh, top five in WHIP. But you can also argue that well, Cliff Lee and Roy Halladay. Oh, actually, he's with the uh, National League. Sorry about that. Uh, was the were the Astros already in the? Well, it, it, what they were looking at was the ERA. I think two twenty seven. That is just yeah. That is that's very. Just, that's and 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 with the with the with the schedule that's has, I mean, that 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 two twenty seven ERA is, is what did it for for Felix right there. I yeah. think on the voting, uh, Felix was uh, on the on the American League. Felix was first. David Price was second. And David Price's WAR that year was 4.7, ERA 2.72. So that's a that's that's a whole uh, 1,500 uh, lighter. And David Price only uh, only only pitched 208 innings, and his WHIP was a little higher at 1.193, and his ERA plus was 144. So it was all analytics for Felix on that one. Yeah, and again, uh, the WAR. I mean, the the other thing I see them was the Fangraphs WAR was a 6.7 against Justin Verlander. They were tied for first, so. Uh, it, there's a little bit of narrative based going here too as well because I think uh, the the thing was well 
who's better with without who's the better team without the player? Is Justin is the Tigers without Justin Verlander better than the uh, Seattle Mariners without Felix Hernandez? And I think the voters decided no. If if you take away Felix Hernandez from the Mariners, they're in deep trouble. They're a team going nowhere. And I think this was around the time where he signed that gargantuan deal, right, uh, Melvin? As well, I believe so. He signed he, in 09. Oh well, yeah. I mean, he had just yeah. made that speech about there's some good things that are going to happen here. And the Mariners were on the up and up at that time. They were, they had the they had all the popular prospects that were going to come up soon, and it didn't amount to anything, unfortunately. But uh, I was going to say, let's 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 let let's uh. Let's understand here that in that Cy Young season, the Mariners themselves finished fourth in the AL West at 61 wins and 101 losses. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so let, let, let's take a look at the, at the, at the five because Cliff, they got rid of Cliff Lee that year because Cliff Lee started with them. Okay, but the guys that ended up the season with King Felix that year were Jason Vargas, Doc Fister, Ryan Roland Smith, and David Pauley. It's not bad. So not bad. I mean, they, you know, wrong time period for those guys, but not bad. Yeah, that, that, they were not very good at all. King Felix had had the ERA, and then it was, it's a parade of threes and four, a high threes and fours all over the ERA but, on that. Meanwhile, the Tigers finished eighty-one and eighty-one with Justin Verlander, but they also had Miguel Cabrera. They had Austin Jackson, who was a defensive whiz out there. Max Scherzer, uh, Johnny Damon. I mean, just a bunch of solid players but they were only good enough to get to 500 magli ordones was still on the team jose valverde so yeah they, 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 so there's still a little bit of narrative baseness but you're right melvin there, there is a little bit of a of a of a skew to look at other numbers besides the traditional numbers otherwise yeah you could say justin brandler should be the guy winning the Cy young hands down or even yeah. cc sabathia who got 21 wins that year yeah, that, uh, for that, the yankees 10 years earlier Ten years earlier, Felix comes fifth or sixth in that in that in that. If he's lucky. If he's lucky, or if he even pulls, right? Yeah. And I remember where I was. I was sitting down on a bus when so when a buddy of mine goes, "Hey, uh, Felix Hernandez just won the Cy Young," and I was like, "I'm gonna give it to him. He only won 13 games." That was my, and I was like, "Wait a minute, get out of your head, dude. You know better. Get out of there. Come on." So no. this was when I saw personally the tide started yeah. turning with him and Votto winning. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree with that. I, 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 like I said, I think this is a bigger watershed moment in baseball than, than the other, men, than the other mentions of uh, watershed <laughs> moments. I, if you're a real hardcore baseball you heard, fan, you heard, you heard his feelings. Man. Otherwise, well, if you're a casual fan, fan, hey, go if, buy if there's a fan out there, if there's a fan out there that still believes in wins and losses, don't leave because then Felipe is going to have you. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I hook line and sinker those people all the time. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, like people like me, people like Melvin, people like you, we're hardcore baseball fans because all of our teams are losing. Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, besides, well, I'm not the White Sox. I'm not the White Sox, Felipe's White Sox, but your guys' Cubs and my Angels. I mean, we ain't doing yeah. very well. So, no, nah, we're, we're, we're on prospect watch again. Like, it seemed like it was only yesterday we were on prospect watch, and now we're yeah. back on prospect watch because all our core players are gone. Not that I'm mad about it or anything. But. I've been on prospect watch since 2012. <laughs> You're on, you've been on bad prospect watch, man. You look at the list of angel players that made the top 10 on their list. It's pretty, it's pretty sad. And You're lucky to have Mike Trout basically at this yeah, point. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Mike Trout has been pretty much it. We've just been excited about who? Cam Bedrosian and Brandon Wood and – Randall and 23 Richard. other teams had to have had to pass on him, by the way. Oh my god, yeah, no, very fortunate <laughs> there. I'm yeah. still winning on Taylor Ward, and um, oh, who's the other? The David second Kelton. baseman, who David Kelton, 
Oh no, talk about the the the, the angels, angels prospects. The yeah. Angels. No, there was there was Taylor Ward and there was another guy that I really oh, liked. Torres. No, I liked I liked my series hey, Torres. That was Wait a prospect, bro. <laughs> no. That was supposed to be it. No, he was. I never saw him more than a defensive wizard. Anyway, uh, wh- whose pick this is? I, I know we got to get going. Yours, bro. Uh, no, it was. Uh, it is your pick, Felipe. Oh, yeah, but I oh, picked, yeah. oh, oh. Okay, cool. Uh, Hernandez, twenty ten. Okay. Uh, all right. Really quick, then. Uh, my pick. What? Okay. The honorable mention because uh, he's Mexican. I have to br- uh, bring in another Mexican into the mix here. So I'm just gonna quickly mention him right away. It's the 2003 version of the guy who owns the pitching Mex- the Mexican pitching record as. Locally. Um, do you know who Mike North is? Sports radio local legend here in Chicago. Mike North, yes, of course. Yeah, he used to make fun of this guy with the White Sox back in 2003. Oh, uh, well, you know, he has to get the Mexican pitching record. He has to be the first Mexican to get to over 20 wins. And he did. 2003, Esteban Loaiza. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, and also 6.9 war that year as well. That's a career high for him. And that's all, that's all he ever did. Uh, that was his peak. He would never get any better. And the next time we would hear from him, uh, was that he killed his wife uh, on an airplane because he, Loiza ended up, well, Loiza ended up being a cartel drug pin, a, a kingpin. Yeah. Esteban Loiza, if you want to see him right now, you're going to have to get a pass because he can only receive so many visits. What is it but with Felipe? What is it with Felipe on this podcast and having some dark stories? Like it's. Oh, I, I have a lot of. A every lot time of you dark come stories. on this, every time you come on this podcast, you have at least one dark story to tell. He let off. Yeah. He let and, off with his war. It was six point nine. It's pretty good. <laughs> Wait, listen, but man. You're lucky we're not even there. We're, you're lucky we're not even talking about uh, wrestling. You know, people ask me, you don't watch the dark, dark. What was that, Melvin? Dark show? Side of wrestling, yeah. You don't oh, watch I know the what dark you're talking s- about. You don't watch the dark side of wrestling? Nah, bro, because I, I know darker sides of wrestling than that. I mean, that, that, they got to PG it up for you people. So, uh, but anyway, no, my, my guy, the guy who deserves the notoriety uh, before he goes into, uh, he goes, uh, disappears into space and time forever and never more, is a young Cuban pitcher for the Miami Marlins. Not Levon Hernandez, by the way. It's the 2016 version of Jose Fernandez. Mm. So, so speaking of dark, right? I mean, the, the guy killed um him and his uh, two other friends uh i think uh what what was the story that he got on a boat in miami and he was uh, high on coke and alcohol and crashed into a rock or something yeah something like that yeah so that's very and it sucks too because that was around the time melvin austin it was around the time that his girlfriend or his fiance whatever the case announced that he was having a little girl Hmm. I don't think he ever got a chance to see that little girl. And if he did, I mean, that little girl never got to see her, her dad uh, at, at a point where he, she's mature enough to remember who he was. I mean, right. I'm, I'm sure if you ask my baby right now, ten, five years from now, if I die tomorrow, if she knows who Felipe Melicio was, he, she, I mean, I heard of him. I never got to know him because babies are babies. So it's a very tragic story of a guy that was universally loved. I mean, you see the stories about his grandmother teaching him how to play and, I mean, you talk about narrative based. This is a narrative that everybody could get on board and jump on and not, uh, uh, there's really nothing bad to say about it. Even I don't have anything bad to say about it, except that I know how this story ends, but 16 wins, eight losses. He was just getting, coming back from injuries. He was going to be the face of the Marlins. He was going to, I mean, this is the, the Marlins team that also, and correct me if I'm wrong, you guys, but have probably had one of the best outfields in all of baseball with Marcelo Zuna, Kristen Yelich, and Giancarlo and um, a wonderful up and coming roster. And it seemed like when he died, that Marlins team died with it. Cause then 
Marlins are going to Marlin and they just started. That's a team that pisses me off so much. But at any rate, um, yeah, the 12.49 strikeouts per nine innings was a career high in 2016 for him. 6.3 war, career high. ERA was at 2.86 um, at the beginning of the launch angle era as well. He was holding his own on ERA. The advanced analytics loved Jose Fernandez throwing 96 mile per hour fastballs on a regular basis, despite all the injuries that he was suffering, all the highlight reels, the things that he could do with the bat. The guy was full of energy, full of passion for the game. And uh, unfortunately he was gone too soon. Really tragic story for Jose Fernandez. Yep. So um, I'm looking at the 2016 Miami Marlins. Not only do they have Christian Yelich, Marcel Ozuna, and Giancarlo Stanton, but behind the plate, they also had JT Real Muto. Oh, my God. What a waste. Wow. What a waste of talent. So Miami, what the hell are you doing, man? They had two MVPs right there. A future Cy Young because this guy was Cy Young material. This this guy was, I think – no, but in my mind, he he won a Cy Young. I, I'm, it's probably like the Mandela effect. In my mind, Jose Fernandez is a Cy Young winner. He he was. He had the tools. He had. He was only 24 years old. Like, and and they did it right with him because he had arm problems, and they were yep. like, you know what? Let's nip it. Let's go ahead. Uh, TJS, bring him back in a year and a half, and he came back. This guy would have won a Cy Young. We'd be talking about him, and. You know, in the same league as, as Garrett Cole and, and all these guys, he would have gotten a huge deal by now. This this guy was he was he was gonna he, he was probably gonna be one of these guys that he probably would have hit arbitra- uh free agency last year. Um mm. he was gonna be one of these one of these he was gonna break the bank. I Holy mean, crap. He, wow. he, he this guy was gonna break the bank. Look at look, I mean, look how much Garrett Cole made. And I'm sorry to tell you, what Garrett Cole showed me from 20 to 24. He can't hold Jose Jose Fernandez's jaw strap in those ages, and and if 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 Fernandez would have developed the way that he was trending, Fernandez was going to break the band. And I'm I'm not only talking about the face of the Marlins here, Felipe. I'm talking face of baseball here. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, he's such a lovable guy, uh, and I, people are going to come after me like, okay, so you'll you'll bash the '98 season, but you you're not willing to bash a guy who killed his two or three friends on a coke induced rager. This, this I, I addiction is a disease too. And, addiction and is a disease, and I did mention it was tragic. I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't. Go ahead. It's an accident. Addiction is a disease, and yes, he had choices to make, just like we all do, and he made a bad one. Yeah, the the uh, ultimate bad one, it, it, Jesus. It, 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 once you filter it through the fact that it's all fueled by addiction instead of you know a desire to make more money in steroids, then you can kind of become a little more compassionate. I would say towards the whole Fernandez situation. So I understand perfectly where you're coming from. I mean, yeah. and there's another watershed moment for me. I remember the day that it happened, my wife, uh, my wife and I were laying in bed, just a lazy Saturday, Sunday morning, going into the afternoon. We've got to sleep in this. You could tell this is before the baby too, by the way. I mean, I'm pretty, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure you can hear the baby crying right now. I'm pretty sure she's in the other room. Just like, when is daddy coming out? So, uh, but long story short, she basically reading the news, the headlines. And so, Oh my God! Did you know this Jose Fernandez guy? Like, and I'm like still in fugue. I'm like half awake, half asleep. Yeah, what about him? I know who he is. He's a good guy, good pitcher. I mean, he died. And I tell you what, man, that woke me the hell up. Like, wait, what do you mean he died? Jose Fernandez, the Jose Fernandez for the Miami Marlins? Yeah, he died last night. And is it like it was yesterday? Like, holy crap! I and I, it, it took me a long time to realize what had happened and to even come to terms that one of the best young up-and-coming players was dead 
and I guess it wasn't until the Marlins had that uh that their their game where, where D Gordon hit the home run, and oh, yeah. I could still hear the trump the trumpets playing in my head right now and through my ear holes uh, of the uh, of the take me out to the ball game that they did before the game started. And if I keep talking about it, I'm I'm still gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna shed a little tear for Jose Fernandez because he was a special guy, special player, fun guy to look at. Great great story about. Uh, overcoming odds. I mean, I, I did mention the Cuban uh, players before, how they had to go through shark-infested waters and go through Mexican Mexican uh, shadiness to get to America. And he overcame all that, was going to make a better life for his family, was starting a family of his own. Just like that, it ended. Just like that, well, in 2016. And, and I'm, I want to shed a little bit of... I mean, obviously, you cannot... The, the, story, the, the story ends badly, but... I mean, to to the credit of everything, uh, something was written the other day on 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 on, on Fernandez's family, and uh, and I don't want to go on a tangent here because we're still talking about Fernandez, but uh, the way his contract was structured, um, they are well taken care of. Good, uh, that's good. Boris did did good diligence on that, and for as much as people like to talk about Boris, I think he did very well on that, and uh, because of that, Fernandez. Uh, daughter and fiance, I believe. I don't know how to. I don't know how to. It's a fiance. Yeah, but the widow version oh. of fiance. I guess. Oh yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, I, I would say Fernandez's widow mm-hmm. and daughter are taken care of. So yeah. Major League Baseball, the way they structured those contracts uh, and and both bars, they did a good job at taking care of his. Family. That's a man. People talk mad mad junk about scott boris but if scott boris were our agent in whatever uh realm whatever industry we're working on we would hire him in a heartbeat because he'd be worth it so but yeah um and and you know what the last thing i'm going to say about the uh, about fernandez is it hit me that 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 jose fernandez incident hit me so hard that 2016 was supposed to be in my mind the most happiest most outstanding season ever and that Fernandez story leaves a little bit of a bitter taste in the 2016 season. Mm. Because uh, even though the Cubs won the World Series, I've been dreaming about it since I was four, <laughs> and still have that little bitter taste of the 2016 season just because of the Fernandez situation. But, you know, the numbers are there. I believe right now Fernandez by now would have won a side young, and he'd probably be the face of baseball Yeah, right now. Two, two things I have to say about Jose Fernandez. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's very tragic the way that he died. And, yes, addiction is a disease. For those of you fans that are out there, if you're struggling with addiction, get help because it's, it is a disease and you need a, bit, and you need a great support system. Um, so, yes, if you know somebody or you are somebody who's struggling with addiction, get help. Two things that I, need, that I want to talk about with Jose Fernandez. First of all, I have – I've seen a lot of pitchers with great movement on their breaking balls, but none of them have been in the same realm as the breaking balls that Jose Fernandez threw. Those things seem like they were coming out from behind the batters and would just drop on the outside corner of the plate. I have never seen a breaking ball move the way Jose Fernandez's breaking balls moved. It was insane to watch that dude pitch. But I think the fondest memory that I have of Jose Fernandez, I think his death and then because it's in recent memory, Tyler Skaggs' death as an Angel Ooh. fan also of, you know, it's also burned into my brain. And then the game that happened after that when they threw the, the, the perfect game or the no-hitter after that, 
I think the, the, mem- the fondest memory that I have of the Jose Fernandez story uh, was the game after he died when they were all um, tributing him and D Gordon comes out there. First of all, he bats, um, does he bat lefty? He comes out lefty, doesn't he? Uh, I thought he was left-handed, yeah. Yeah, he comes out lefty in honor of Jose Fernandez because he's left-handed. And then, so he does that for one pitch, and then he comes back right-handed, and he hits a home run. And for those of you that don't know who D. Gordon is, <laughs> D. Gordon don't hit home runs. D. Gordon was a – he was a speedster, didn't hit any home runs. In fact, in the 2016 season, D. Gordon hits uh, – what is it? D. Gordon hits – one home run in this season. And that one home run is the day after Jose Fernandez dies. I thought he was left. I thought he hit it left handed, left handed that because I thought it went to right field. Didn't it go into the right it field? It did stance? go to right field, but I think he hit it opposite field. Golly. See, yeah. it's like, I mean, I mean there, there it is. There's the, there's your Pollyanna moment right yeah. there. So you want to talk about people ain't watching over you or what? I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's a crazy moment. And who was the hitting coach that game? Barry Bonds. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's the fondest hey, memory that I have. Let me that. rub something on you. Yeah, rub something <laughs> on him. <laughs> rub, um, rub him down for me. Yeah, yeah. Clear, the cream, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Austin, uh, how, how do you like that you wanted to talk some stories and you got a bunch of stories uh, from I know. Both of us. I was just going to say we don't even have to do last call because we did like a ton of them and we had a whole lot of conversation. And I think this is probably the most controversial episode of Around Trippers that we've had since I've started this. So <laughs> I say, that's, that's why Latinos don't get anything because we just we're so controversial. <laughs> los, cub, los Cubs, Los Cubans, what is that? Oh, the Cubs. Cubs. That means the Cubs. <laughs> uh, t- so. Tommy, Tommy Hilfiger. There you go. I have, the, I have a Sandlot shirt on. If I had Benny the Jet, I would have worn that. But, you know, it's, you're killing me smalls. But, <laughs> you know, I know. Um, I got a lot of compliments on it at work today. Everybody, I turn around, they're like, I really like your shirt. I'm like, I wear this shirt all the time. How do you not know that I have this shirt? <laughs> uh, <laughs> So anyway, any last remarks before we sign off here? Anybody want to, uh, guys want to plug your pages, your podcasts, all of that before we, uh, before we sign off? I'll go ahead and go first because uh, I, I just got the, the, the page. Um, baseball Cosmos, baseball all year round. Uh, find us on Facebook. It's literally baseball, like baseball Cosmos, C-O-S-M-O-S. It's baseball from everywhere. We, we're going to start on the winter leagues here soon. Yes. We'll do Olympic baseball. We do Caribbean series. We cover KBO, uh, Cuban series, uh, Nippon professional baseball, Mexican league. So, well, none, the Mexican league, that's not part of the winter league. Um, but, yeah, that's the big thing that, that we got going on right now. Uh, late October, early, early November, winter leagues are here. And Bartolo Colon will be playing in the Dominican Republic Winter League over there. Big sexy, making oh. his making yeah, a appearance. Sixth season or something like that in the, in the Winter you, League. You see, you see, here we are. He'll be playing. So you thought um, he was uh, back there in the 2006 uh, was it 2005 season stealing Johan Santana's Cy Young Award? No, he's still he's still going. Uh, he's, Bartolo he's still Colon. going. Yes, he's still going. But baseball cosmos, we talk about uh, baseball from everywhere. So go ahead and give us a like and. Um, last year we went to the World Series. I don't know if we're going to be able to this year, but we're going to figure something cool to do this year. 
for the awesome. for the for the postseason. I always like I always like your little uh, posts that you make there um, with the know. obscure names, which is I mean, there's a reason why I picked the obscure names on my thing, right? It's right <laughs> up my alley. Uh, uh, and of course, you can check us out at uh, we're, we're all tied in together because we, we're on a Facebook group called Baseball Life. I don't know if you guys saw it, but we got a shout out in our basketball group from the uh, from the content creator. Uh, is it TikTok content creator or Instagram? Whatever it is. It's a guy named Max is nice. Uh, he does the imitations of the basketball players, uh, and he gave us a shout out for the basketball life group. So we're oh, proud of that oh, moment. That's cool. That's yeah. Great. So, but we're all in together because uh, we're in this uh, Facebook group called Baseball Life. So join us there. See what the life group difference is. Um, Melvin was going to meet with me, right? Were well, you going to meet up right on Saturday on a couple of Saturdays I was. ago? I and, was. And then, and then what? COVID happened, or uh, Tennessee didn't let you? No. <laughs> Tennessee didn't let me out. No, my father-in-law had an unfortunate uh, accident. Oh man, I'm sorry to hear. And that. Uh, we had to, I had to stay stay behind. But but no, but I was doing all really well. So. But, but I'm sorry to hear that. But in the meantime, I mean, I got to meet more people that I met because of these groups. Mostly, it's all tied into baseball. So, uh, you know, join us and see what it's all about. Continue the conversation there. In the meantime, uh, I am on a podcast called the Total Basis Podcast with my friend Sean. Uh, where we mostly talk about uh, from a fantasy baseball standpoint. My, by the way, uh, number one, I beat Austin in our Yahoo League. So yes. again, friggin' Wade Miley. <laughs> well, that, Wade told you Miley, to st- I was winning all week long, and friggin' Wade Miley just it's, took a dump all over my bed. And no lead is too safe when I'm around. I, oh, I know too much. I was so mad. I was, I was, like I said, I was beating you all week, and then Wade Miley screwed it up. I like this. The, the tradition that never gets old, me beating Austin's team every single time I Wait face Wait a minute. Him. I beat you last time, so don't even. Wait a minute. <laughs> I, I don't remember that. There's, don't yeah, you don't remember that. Whatever. There yeah, is I mean, no I beat him every time. I beat you last time. So. And I, won the, I mean, I won our championship in that one league, so I, yeah, you weren't nowhere to be found. advantage, you jerk. <laughs> is, is that not a thing in real baseball? Why does, can it be a thing in fantasy baseball? What's whatever. up? And Melvin, you're in that league, too. How are you doing? Um. Dead last, almost. Well, I, I beat Sean, but I think Sean threw the towel in. No, it's Sean threw the towel at the moment that he his team was drafted by the computer. He he's been working these weird ass hours. But anyway, uh, the total basis podcast. We do talk a lot about fantasy baseball. We also talk from a, a lot of a from a statistical standpoint. But we all we like to also shed a light on some of them. Again, more the uh, of the obscure players, players that you may not know about. Uh, because you know what it is, guys. Today's uh, you know. 40 rated prospect will end up being the guy who can save a starting rotation uh, as they try to make their playoff push. Like, Oh, I don't know. Like that Cortez guy from New York Yankees. What's his first name? Nestor. Nestor Cortez has come out of nowhere. And now he has two starts this week. He faces the Rangers and the Red Sox as he tries to will those darn New York Yankees into the playoffs, which is pretty comical. But again, he was a no uh, to me. He was a nobody prospect and now he's one of the more important players and um, by the way to prove that sean and i know what we're talking about in the baseball life fantasy baseball league sean and i not your number one team versus your number two team sean are facing each other for the championship game for the baseball life baseball group so um wow. we do know what we're talking about guys okay well of course <laughs> by the way cortez four and one third today three runs two walks seven strikeouts seven wow. strikeouts I'll take Seven it. strikeouts in four and one third. So that's Cortez. He gave he's up three pitching. runs, but is he still in the game? Uh no, he got it. He he's out. Damn it. Yep, he's out. 
All right, well, that's oh, fine. Well, He'll get them next time. Yeah. And uh, I would like to plug one thing. I don't know if you guys are um, aware of it because I it's this is brand new, but the Round Trippers podcast is now on Twitter. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Round Trippers podcast is now on Twitter. So you can find us, you can find me and the Round Trippers podcast at the Twitter handle round underscore trippers. Um, so go ahead and give us a follow and uh, we will post some, uh, or I will post some stuff. Um, going on about the baseball buzz and I want to get your opinions and you know what if I get enough of a following maybe we'll do some fan directed shows that would be kind of fun to do so go ahead and give us a follow that once again that is round underscore trippers on twitter um thank you both Melvin and Felipe for coming on to the show I really appreciate it and for my friends Melvin Lopez Oma Ona and Felipe Malicio. I am Austin Spiro. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Round Trippers podcast. And until next week, have a good one, everybody. Adios. Adios. Hasta luego. One last correction before we officially sign off. I wanted to make sure that I was correct in the remark that I made with our regarding our conversation with D Gordon's home run for Jose Fernandez. So I went back and I made sure that I was correct. And in fact, I'm glad I went back and checked because I was actually not correct. Um, Jose or uh, D Gordon actually hit that home run left-handed. He hit it left-handed on a 2-0 pitch and it went over the right field fence for his only home run of the season. I just wanted to make sure that I got that correct and uh, make that correction. And indeed, I was wrong. He did hit it left-handed. Um, so thank you for listening to that uh, correction. And thank you for listening to the Round Trippers podcast. Once again, you can find the Round Trippers podcast on Twitter. You can go and uh, enjoy some more baseball discussion uh, with the by following us under the Twitter handle round underscore trippers. So go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter and keep the conversation going in between premieres of the podcast episodes. Um, and until next week, thanks for listening, everybody.